Hello, you're listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. We are a general interest independent bookstore located in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles, California. This year, because of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had to close our store and cancel in-person events. But Skylight is your neighborhood bookstore, and we are finding ways to create community even while we're far apart. In the coming weeks, we'll be putting out lots of new audio content to help you discover new books, connect with authors, and check in with your favorite booksellers. To learn more about how you can help keep Skylight alive, please visit our website at skylightbooks.com or check out our social media accounts on Twitter and Instagram. You can subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Growing up, I had a friend who could see ghosts. At least, that's what he said. He claimed it was hereditary, that the gift, as he called it, had been passed down to him through a genetic game of tag that touched some, him and his mother, for instance, but skipped others, like his siblings. My friend told me that when he was a kid, his family lived across the street from a cemetery. Ghosts are hard to see in the daylight, he said, but you can still hear them. All they do is talk all day and night long. They never shut up. I asked him what they talked about, and he said the same things we do. Relationship troubles, television programs, the weather, making death sound like one eternal water cooler gathering, minus the job to return to when your break was up. Once, when driving late at night along a lonely stretch of road in West Jordan, Utah, back when West Jordan felt like the front porch of a desert that stretched clear to California, with only a neon speed bump in Wendover, Nevada between the two states, we passed an abandoned house, its windows shattered, its front door wide open to the wind, its brick walls stained and crumbling. And my friend said, did you hear that? Hear what? I asked. All I heard was the radio. The screaming, he said. All that screaming coming from inside the house. Even though I eventually discovered that the friend in question was given to lying with a pathological regularity, that story of the screaming house still haunts me. And really, I don't care if my friend lied because it's a great story. It gives me the shivers. And that's all I ask of a ghost story. Spare me the horror. I want the terror, the suspense, the imagination. But what about you? Do you want the truth or just the appearance of it? I guess what I'm asking is what Pliny the Younger asked his audience nearly 2,000 years ago. Quote, whether you believe in the existence of ghosts and that they have a real form and are a sort of divinity or only the visionary impressions of a terrified imagination. End quote. No need to answer right away. Questions this important should be mulled over like Yuletide wine. Welcome to the One Shot Podcast, Stigmatized Property. I'm Adam O'Davis, author of Index of Haunted Houses, winner of the Catherine A. Morton Poetry Prize, which will be published by Saraband Books on September 1st, 2020. Rather than discussing my book as a whole, I thought I'd take a cue from my book's title and talk a little bit about haunted houses, that is, the history of haunted houses, where do they come from? Why do we need them? And what do they say about us? In doing so, I'll explore how these questions guided me in writing Stetson a Retrograde, the centerpiece poem of my collection. If you're like me, you've been staying home a lot these days, and in staying home, you've probably noticed things about where you live. 
Sounds, smells, irregularities, secret compartments hidden under loose floorboards, staircases behind bookshelves, eyes and the paintings on your walls that follow you. Don't worry, this is all completely normal. According to a recent New York Times article, haunted house reports have been on the rise since the pandemic began. Some chalk this up to the fact that we're paying closer attention to our home's quirks now that we're in them all the time. Others say that our heightened state of anxiety leaves us more attuned to the paranormal universe that surrounds us. In fact, according to a 2019 YouGov survey, 45% of us would be inclined to believe these happenings are directly related to ghosts. What's occurred to me is that we're the only ones haunting our homes these days. We are, effectively, new ghosts. So it makes sense that our domicile's old ghosts might take umbrage at our intrusion. Whereas before, those skeleton shift specters could take their days off after a full night's haunting, now they have to work around the clock, just like us. Or, siding with the other 55% of that survey, maybe there are no ghosts. Maybe now that we're fully at home, in our homes, operating as round-the-clock domestics, it means that what's commonplace when we're at work, the hemming and hawing of our foundation's bones, the suspicious clinks and clanks of raccoons in the attic and skunks in the crawl space, the groan of our houses sucking air in the midday heat, becomes supernatural now that our natures are homebound. All of which begs the question, what came first, the house or the haunting? Pliny the Younger, who I mentioned earlier, is credited with writing one of the first ghost stories when he recounted the tale of Athenodorus, a Greek philosopher who decided to rent a house in Athens despite it being reported as haunted. The ghost, in this case, was that of a bearded elderly man who rattled his chains from dusk till dawn. So why did Athenodorus rent a haunted house? Because it was cheap. So cheap, it seemed too good to be true. And this is an incredibly important detail as it intertwines our two great real estate obsessions, history and value, or rather, how history and value intersect. What I'm getting at is that the haunting of this house, and really all houses considered haunted, was an economic one. As classicist Debbie Felton writes, Pleiades' story suggests that haunted houses might in fact have been an economic reality in the ancient world. And there's a term for this type of house in the real estate world, too a stigmatized property, a place that refuses the value it should have by housing some unsettling histories. At the end of Pliny's tale, the ghost leads Athenodorus to the ghost remains, which are promptly reburied the next day with all the necessary rituals and customs needed. As a result, exit ghost, the dead given justice, Evanes. In a sense, Pliny's story isn't that much different than Spielberg's 1980s classic Poltergeist, both deal with the question of property value being diminished by the unruly dead. It's a fun conceit, especially when coffins start exploding from the earth like ballistic missiles, but the reality is that everything in this world has been built on the bones of what and who came before. For this reason, I think Poltergeist offers a definitive thesis on American debt. The new tract home, the paradigm of American achievement, is revealed to be built on an ancient burial ground, meaning that the white, middle-class family who owns it now is forced to pay for the sins of its proverbial fathers, all while grappling for purchase between the Reaganomical rock and hard place of poverty and the 1%. By the film's end, the family is forcefully evicted, as the housing development's developer is revealed to be the villain who got rid of the headstones but left the bodies in the ground. Just as was the case with Pliny the Younger's retelling of Athenodorus' story, ghosts are the dead who demand justice from the living, in this case, rather explosively. 
quick side note. In every haunted house movie, if there are children, it's the children who know the ghosts are there. And in many ways, it's the children that help the ghosts or are viewed by their parents as being pawns of said ghosts. The fear of every parent isn't that much different than the fear of every teacher, that their children will recognize their power to rebel and overthrow those who gave them life or who taught them what they could before they were replaced by those they thought to instruct. As Cormac McCarthy writes on the opening page of Blood Meridian, the mother, dead these 14 years, did incubate in her own bosom the creature who would carry her off. We are always the people our parents warned us about. But it's always easier, just as was the case in The Exorcist, to believe that the child is being carried away unwillingly by the infernal instead of actually just journeying through puberty into personhood. Ghosts, it could be argued, are simply placeholders for people we don't want to blame. Anyhow, let's get back to our central narrative. Where was I? Oh yeah, ghosts. Ghosts are the dead who demand justice from the living. If you don't believe me, just ask Sarah Winchester. After her husband's death from tuberculosis, Winchester inherited something close to half a billion dollars in today's money, along with half ownership of the Winchester Repeating Arms Company, meaning that not only was she stunningly rich, she was also responsible, in her mind, for half of all deaths the Winchester Repeating Arms Company caused. This, combined with the death of her husband and their only child, stoked the fires of Winchester's guilt, and she, on the advice of a psychic, built one of the strangest homes in Western civilization. A Queen Anne castle filled with stairways to nowhere, doors that opened to leg-breaking drops, and a dozen decoy toilets deployed to distract vengeful spirits. Legend has it that Winchester had workers working around the clock to build her labyrinth and manor, which was designed specifically to confuse the ghosts she believed were coming home to roost. The Sarah Winchester's house sold cheap after her death in 1922. It was neither bulldozed nor condemned, and though no one lives there now, other than presumably the haunts, the house has become one of the most popular tourist destinations in the United States. Even empty, it's worth a hell of a lot of money. But what about those houses whose value isn't lifted by their spirits? What about those stigmatized properties that are just that, stigmatized, and so, according to America, worthless? Consider the shotgun shacks of the South, named so because you could fire a gun through the front door without fear of hitting anything in the house, that are considered particularly prone to hauntings. Like bullets, spirits are said to pass easily through them. But what they're really prone to is poverty. They're cheap to build and are so slim they can be packed tight as boxed cigarettes on already overcrowded blocks. So again, I ask, albeit somewhat differently, what came first, poverty or ghosts? In California, any death on a property needs to be disclosed if it occurred within the last three years. After that, you're good. And in a reprisal of that old Greek ghost story, when a house at 112 Ocean Avenue in Amityville, New York, went up for sale in 1975 at the rock-bottom price of $80,000, the Letts family snapped it up, even though they knew Ron DeFeo Jr. had murdered his parents and his four siblings in the house a year before. But then, shortly after moving in, the Letts started seeing things, hearing things, feeling things. They vamoosed quickly enough, but then they wrote a book even quicker. Though they maintain that the events depicted happened, cloven feet in the snow and all, there's still a lot of doubts. Even so, the house has sold for substantial sums over the years, perhaps owing to its history, perhaps owing to its waterfront location and Dutch colonial architecture. It's in a good neighborhood, too, and good neighborhoods don't let a little bad business get in the way of profit. Which brings us to Stambovsky versus Ackley, a.k.a. 
the Ghostbusters ruling, which declared that the house Jeffrey Stambovsky bought was haunted in the eyes of the law, meaning that Stambovsky, who hadn't been told by either the sellers or the real estate agents that the house was considered poltergeist-ridden, was entitled to a rescission. You should read the court's majority opinion. It's full of spooky double entendres and ghostly references. Clearly, the judges had a lot of fun with this one. And, in the end, Byers Morse did more than get Stambovsky his money back. It gave the paranormal legal standing. I used part of the ruling's language as the epitaph for my poem, Stetson in Retrograde, precisely because of the strange echo the legal language gives the supernatural. Clearly, the court didn't believe in ghosts, but for the sake of the law, it had to. Which made me wonder, why do we have to believe what we believe? When you think about it, the reason for any belief or system of belief is a question that haunts. Who are we? Where did we come from? What's going to happen to us when we're gone? And what makes these questions so haunting is because they're unanswerable outside of the absurdist truth that the world will go on with or without us. But who would want to believe such a stark reality? But the questions that haunt us are the questions that matter. In her essay, At the Dam, Joan Didion reflects on the supernatural power embodied by the Hoover Dam. She writes, I walked across the marble star map that traces a side real revolution of the equinox and fixes forever, the reclamation man had told me, for all time and for all people who can read the stars, the date the dam was dedicated. The star map was, he had said, for when we were all gone and the dam was left. I'd not thought much of it when he said it, but I thought of it then, with the wind whining and the sun dropping behind a mesa with the finality of a sunset in space. Of course, that was the image I had always seen, seen it without quite realizing what I saw, a dynamo finally free of man, splendid at last in its absolute isolation, transmitting power and releasing water to a world where no one is. What will this world be when we no longer are? What are we to our bodies but the ghosts that live in them? I think the most central human hope, evidenced by the cave paintings in Lascaux or the flag plantings on the moon, is we were here. We lived. We were once. Remember us. Value us. These are the ideas and questions that guided me when writing Stetson Retrograde, the longest poem in my book, Index of Haunted Houses. Guided by the epigraph from the court ruling on Stambovsky versus Ackley, I set out to write a long poem that would not only address the intersection of the supernatural, the corporeal, and the financial, but that would also serve as a book within a book. That is, a poem that would fully encapsulate and echo the themes and images of the collection it's in. In order to do so, I reread each of the poems in Index of Haunted Houses, and then condensed each poem into a single image or question. When I was done, I had roughly 38 fragments that I then sewed into a sequence where every line was a hypothetical that, through the force of repetition, deconstructed the meaning of ghosts, a.k.a. the supernatural, blood, a.k.a. the corporeal, and homes, a.k.a. the financial. In doing so, my hope was to create a long poem wherein our understanding of these totemic forces was reflected and then broken like light on choppy water. I hope you enjoy it. Stetson in Retrograde As a matter of law, the house is haunted. Stambovsky v. Ackley, 1991 1. If a house is haunted like a radio is haunted, if a body is a radio of blood, if a body of ghosts hums like blood over a valley of bone, if blood is a government of ghosts, 
if bones grow green as cash in the foreign national of our ghosts if homes bloom along the interstate of our blood if from granaries of bone we rise in the newspaper dawn if amongst the chattering of water we rise like a benediction over the auspices of convenience if ghosts we rise like ghosts if we collect we collect like desire in a desert payphone if we ring if we ring like coins in the cup of night if we lie like coins in the palm of nebraska if the sun is an argument with ghosts if the sun's argument plays out in the squares upon the floor of this home if the day winds down like a watch if heaven is a horology if desire is the body we give the past if at night termites tick like time in our bones if in these bones we find the body's foreclosure two if in foreclosure we find the math of our homes if the math of our homes is the math of fire if the math of fire is the math of money if the math of money is a map of interstate rain if grief is a cup if grief is a cup let me drink from it and be drunk if drunk if drunk and wandering if thirsty and moneyed if coined and fashionable if drunk and wandering like a dog through the supermarkets of the night if i want the question of a home if i want as a windmill wants the wind if i want that lesson if i want the lesson that breaks me if i want the desert and its wind if i want to throw myself to it if i want never to be seen again if by the light of dentistry my teeth anoint ledgers lavish with loss if in these ledgers every tooth is a house if debt is a tooth the dentist will not pull three if awake if waking if awake in the wake of sleep if sore-eyed and stubbled if poorly fed yet feed if coffeed and quiet if humming if awake and humming in the halls of convenience if aching under the auspice of birds whose voices are feathered and vaulted and keyed if of our voices we build a bank will it not speak if we atone if we and our homes atone if we sink alone into the chloroform fiduciary of home if we pill and drone if we alone are alone if we tether ourselves to the stones of our homes if we sink to lazier bones if we believe bankruptcy is a throne if along the rails the whistle no longer blows four if we choose if we had chosen if we better if we if we had been if we had been better and awake if we had accounted if we had awakened from the tax of sleep to the muted bells of bills that rang like fire in the foundries of past lovers if love if lovers and we sleep if like fire we build a forest for overages if for a surcharge we survive the past if of the past if of the past we make a ministry of the past if we pass like fire over the waters of ambition if upon those waters we find our faces and weep if weeping stops if stopping stops if the ghost math of money stops if named if a name is cast like a coin over the auspices of convenience if i call a name will that name call back if i call will i call collect if i collect like credit if i credit a ghost five 
if named for a ghost, if in the name of all ghosts, if the name is named that calls all ghosts to waking, if waking ghosts, if ghosts rise like desire from the granaries of sleep and dress for the newspaper dawn, if newspapered and awake, if hunted by convenience stores, if alone and named, if nameless and unknown, if anonymous as light, if mute as tax, if a dividend of sun sits like a loan upon the floor of this home, if silence is alone, if the sun is a school, if ghosts are a lesson drawn in sand, if the sun looms like a school of blood over subdivisions of ghosts, if subdivided, if the desert, like a house of belief, is a body dividended with blood. 6. If belief is a ghost, if blood is weather, if bones are birds in a body of fog, if debt is a body clothed with birds, if the body is a myth in the municipal pool, if birds gather like fists of cash on federal clotheslines, if ghosts tremble on foreign buildings like cups of fog, if cash is the myth in the myth of collection, if myth is a lesson in collective loss, if we are learned and lean, if we are lessened by learning, if learning is a lean-to to loss, if a ghost is a home, if a ghost is a thing bankrupt of bone, if land is land only, if it is lessened in homes, if we, like land, grow green with the memory of our blood, if we grow and with land, if we be, if land is, if we be and with land, never let us be without, if never without us, our ghosts. Thanks for listening to Stigmatized Properties, a one-shot podcast in support of Index of Haunted Houses. If you liked what you heard, please pick up a copy of Index of Haunted Houses through my good friends at Skylight Books. And until we meet again, I'm Adam O'Davis, and I wish you and yours good health and the happiest of hauntings. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon. I see.